Good morning. I'd say it's nice to see you, but all we've been doing is you seeing me and me seeing you so far this morning, and that's okay. It's a blessing to be here. Um, this morning, we're going to be in John chapter 9, and we're just going to go right through this chapter. Uh, if it's a chapter you've read before and you've not enjoyed a lot of the irony in it, and, and you heard this a little bit in the ch- passage we just read in John chapter 8, um, if you're reading, and Mark's gospel has some of this too, John's has it, a lot of really intellectual, very smart dialogue uh, where Jesus often looks really, really sharp and the people around him look really dull. Um, John 9 is one of those passages. And because it's so clearly that way, there's almost comedy in it when I read it. Uh, And so uh, we're going to be reading through John chapter 9. And I want to begin this morning by just reading all the way through this story so you can feel how the story happens. And then we're going to go back and go through it and just work our way through this this story that is told here in John chapter 9, where Jesus heals a man born blind, and then just confusion and chaos ensue for the rest of the chapter. Uh, But the thing that you need to know as we're getting ready to read it is that at the beginning of this story, there is an assumption in everyone that's in this crowd that's witnessing everything that's going on in John chapter 9. And the assumptions are this, is that blind people are guilty of some sin, or if you're born blind, it may be that your parents are guilty of some sin. And, And that you should be constantly ashamed because of the guilt of the sin which has caused your blindness that it was inflicted upon you because of some wrongdoing, it may be a secret wrongdoing, um, that you did that has resulted in your being blind. And so there's a lot of judgment that is is passed on those who were blind in the time of Jesus. We know today that that's not how sin and, and, and shame and the body always work. And so we don't jump to those conclusions, but in the time of Jesus, many of them did. And so we have to know that that's going on. The other thing that is happening in this particular community is that the Jewish leaders in this community assume that Jesus is also a sinner. As you just heard, kind of when we were talking about at communion, they said, listen, aren't we right that you're a Samaritan who's demon-possessed? Like, just tell us the truth. That's who you are, right? They've so decided that Jesus is a sinner and that he is in opposition to God, uh, that he is guilty of some sin, whether they know what it is or not, and that he is filled with shame, and that those who associate with him also share in this sin and this shame. So much so that if you are a disciple of this Jesus, they put you out of the local synagogue. You can no longer be a part of the Jewish community as it functions here in this town, in this village. And so if you believe that this Jesus is is right, clearly you're blind and you're filled with shame and you don't see what's going on here. So you need to understand that that's happening. And the one thing that, that everyone else also agrees on is that these Pharisees are the only ones who really see clearly and understand all of this. Aren't we so fortunate to have people among us who can tell us what the truth is and help us understand who all the good people are and the bad people are and to sort it all out and treat them accordingly? Um, The Pharisees are happy, and the Jewish leaders, to step into that role and to be uh, the ones who are the, uh, the referees of sin and righteousness in their community. So as you're going through this story, pay attention to what John is doing and how he's writing this to help you think about who can see clearly, who is blind, and who should be ashamed of themselves. Who should be uh, guilty of the way that they're acting and feel guilty and and be guilty in in sin in the way that they're treating other people. 
And what you'll see is that it's kind of argued and contested, and they're kind of lobbing back and forth these questions and insults about who understands, who sees, and who's guilty throughout the entire chapter. Okay, with that preface, let's get into the text. John chapter 9, starting in verse verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, Nah, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then are your eyes open? they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? they asked him. I don't know, he said. Well, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him of how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still do not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one that you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered. (laughs) And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes? We don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. Well, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. The second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Well, then they asked him, well, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. And the man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody's ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, your guilt remains. Your guilt remains. The dialogue in this story is so rich. This man who was blind has the ability to see and cut to the chase and speak truth to people who claim to see but clearly see nothing and don't understand. And I want to go through this and I want to kind of highlight some of the things that are going on in this chapter and in this story. And at the very beginning, they deal with the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is this, this blind man, we all know that he's full of sin or his parents were full of sin and he's blind as a punishment from God. So Jesus, just for fun, why don't you tell us which one of them committed the sin that we don't know caused this problem? Um, Just, we're interested. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. At the very beginning, Jesus says, all that you assume about guilt and sin and and the consequences that it has on this man's life, that he's blind as a result of some kind of judgment from God, is wrong. And you just need to know that. that. That off the bat, when we see people that are suffering and going through tough times, that we should not make the assumption that the disciples did here and assume that they're suffering and it's their fault. A lot of times Jesus chooses to have compassion on those who are suffering, including this blind man, so that his works, the works of God, might be revealed in their lives. And we should join Jesus in that desire to not look down on those who are having a tough time or who have illness or struggles in their lives, but instead to come alongside them and bless them and improve their life. That's the Jesus way of dealing with with suffering. Is not trying to sort out who's worthy of being blessed and who's not deserving of goodness, but instead to decide that all people deserve to have God's work producing something better in their life than when we found them. That either as a result of God coming into their lives, their lives can be improved, or as a result of God coming into their life through us, their life might be improved. 
So immediately, right out the gate, Jesus deals with this whole problem that this culture has of just assuming that all people who are suffering are sinners. Uh, Because we know in our world that a great deal of of arguing and trying to sort out uh, has taken place about why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And the answer is sometimes things just happen. And we shouldn't assume goodness or badness or wrongness or right actions or whatever based on someone's circumstances. Instead, we should always be willing, like Jesus, to come alongside those who are are suffering and try and bless them and bring them more to where God desires for them to be, physically, spiritually, relationally, and otherwise. And then the thing that happens next is, is really interesting. Jesus says to them, he says, uh, he talks about night and day. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. We miss a lot of the importance of this image that Jesus has here uh, as he's speaking. And the reason that we miss that is that this morning when we needed to come to church here, uh, the sun had barely risen, but we came in and we flipped two switches over there and about 12 switches up in the crow's nest and light just appeared in this room. Last night, I assume most of you went to bed after the sun set. Uh, I don't know, but the sun would have set. It would have been dark in your house. And none of you looked around and went, oh, bummer. Sun's gone. Guess I'll go to bed. There's nothing else to do. You went over and solved the darkness problem in the room that you were in by going flip. And you solved the darkness problem. Well, it's a different world that doesn't have the benefit of electricity and light switches and light bulbs. Darkness and night and light and day have entirely different meanings for a world that when the sun is gone, strikes all of humanity with blindness. When the sun sets, you can't see to work. You can't see to read. You can't see to go about your day. And and certainly uh, there's, there's candles and there's other things during this time. But in this world, people knew that darkness meant there's nothing you can really do. Productivity ends. The day is over. Night has begun. There's really nothing to do except sleep. So you might as well go to bed because as soon as the sun comes up and light is here, that's when safety comes and busyness comes and the ability to do all the things that need to be done comes. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, what he's saying is when I'm not here, nothing's getting done and things are asleep. And when I'm here, the world wakes up and things happen. He says, I'm the light of the world. And the idea here in the conversation about sight and blindness is when I'm gone, nobody sees. When I'm here, everybody sees clearly. That's the impact that Jesus has in his ministry and when he shows up on the scene. He's the one who gives sight to all by bringing light to the world. And then he does something interesting in verse chapter 6. Verse chapter 6 Jesus bends down, he spits in the dirt, he mixes up a little bit of mud, and he puts it on the guy's eyes. And then he tells him, now go to the pool called Scent and bathe, and he just tells him to do it. And the guy does it. And then there's this very, very simple phrase here at the end of verse chapter 7. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Isn't that the most understated thing? This man has been blind since birth. 
Jesus spits on the ground, makes a mud pie, puts it on the guy's eyes, says, hey, go to that pool and wash. Doesn't tell him really why, just says, go to that pool and wash. The guy just does it and then comes back seeing. And then he had a sandwich. I mean, that's kind of how this reads, right? And with the sandwich, he had a drink. And people were surprised, both at the choice of sandwich meat and the seeingness. Um, this is incredible. And within this story, it's just read as, as completely ordinary. But then in the middle of all of this is this, this moment where we kind of want to go, wait, he did what with the dirt and the spit? Why? Why do that? And the, and the text doesn't tell us why Jesus did that. The text doesn't tell us uh, why it was that Jesus chose to heal this man in this way. And, and I think that we can maybe come up with two theories that, that I'll kind of put forward. I'll tell you, um, the first one is that, that maybe this was a special kind of blindness that needed mud to be gotten rid of. Um, and that no one had tried blind, mud on his blindness before, and that was effective. That's one possibility. The other one is that, that Jesus is doing something else. And while we don't know for certain, here's my best guess. I think Jesus wants to pick a fight with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And so the way that you pick a fight with the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders is you check your, your calendar and you go, what is today? Oh, it's Sabbath. Oh, I'm not supposed to do any work. So if I just tell this guy, open your eyes and see, it's a little bit contestable whether or not I've done any work or not. Because I just spoke and, and he was able to see and he was able to go on his way and, then, and everyone could just really kind of rejoice and, and it all happens right here. But I think what Jesus is wanting to do is to point out what he's going to be pointing out later, which is that God cares more about mercy and grace in his children than he does about the rules of religiosity. The rules of religion, the observance of, and the dictums of all the things that come up in, in kind of the Jewish practice of faith, especially as the Pharisees are doing it, that what he prefers is mercy, grace, and love. And the way that you get in an argument about that is you come up with a recipe and you do a little bit of, of medical cooking to then heal this guy and you send him to go take a bath, which is contestable whether or not he should be doing that or not. Now you've got an argument. So I think Jesus is messing with the Jewish leaders when he makes the mud. He wants to make sure that they're ready to accuse him of sinning by breaking the Sabbath because he wants a conversation about who's really a sinner and who's really blind. And I think he's picking this fight. And for my money, he does it really well. And he sends the guy away, and the guy goes and washes, and he comes back seeing. And now we get into another one of our interesting conversations about who can see and who can't. Uh, so in, in verse chapter 8, there are some, everyone kind of comes up, and they see this guy, and he can see them back. And they've seen this guy begging at the gate before, but something about him was different. It, it, was, it seemed to be that he was blind and begging, and now he seems to not be begging and seeing. And they're just blown away by this, and they're having a hard time processing it. And the easiest way to, to process the problem of this guy used to be blind, and now he can see, is to come up with a solution to this problem. And several people do. That's not that guy. It's someone that looks like him. No, I'm pretty sure that's the guy. That's the, he's been there all the time. Don't you remember looking at him? And it's like, well, I don't really look at him that closely when he's down there begging. But he, he, he looks very different walking around seeing things. So it's probably just someone that looks like him. The blind guy's probably around here somewhere. 
And so this argument breaks out. Someone eventually comes up with the solution of, well, let's go ask him if he's him or not. Hey, are you that blind guy that used to be blind and apparently now can see? Or are you just a guy that's always been seeing and you look like him? No, I'm that guy. I am that man. And it goes to show us that even facing incredible evidence that Jesus has this power, that there were some who were willing to reject it by silly solutions to the problems that they had. When faced with the possibility that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God, Messiah, and had the power to heal blind people, some people said that feels less likely than someone who looks like the blind man showing up today, and we randomly can't find the blind man. When you ask this crowd which of those solutions feels more likely, a number of them are continuing throughout this story to say, I really feel like it just looks like him. I don't think this is that guy. And again, we've talked about this before, that that there's something to be said for our scientific 2020 assumptions that people in antiquity were dumb and just thought that anything could happen all the time. We've kind of been taught that as kids growing up, that before the scientific revolution, people just believed anything and everything. Like like you would just say, how could a, a blind man see? And someone would be like, you know, magic. And everyone would be like, oh, it's the magic. But the reality is that they were as skeptical then about things that they thought were impossible as we are today. Just in different, they use different words to talk about it. But there's not people in this community that believe that people who have been blind their entire life might just start seeing today somehow. This is, they're having a very difficult time believing that this is possible. But the man does testify that Jesus healed him. And, and all of these conversations kind of break out about what that means and, and, and what the implications are of that, whether or not he is, and how it happened. Uh, and, and then in verse 16, we're going to jump down a little bit. In verse 16, uh, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, which is exactly what I think Jesus wanted them to say. But others asked, well, how can a sinner perform such signs? And so an argument breaks out again. They've had the argument about, is this the guy or isn't it the guy? And so now they're in a new argument. And some of them are saying, he broke the Sabbath when he made the the mud medicine. And others are saying, he couldn't have broken the Sabbath because that would make him a sinner. And God doesn't listen to sinners. How could a sinner do this kind of stuff? He can't be. And the others are kind of saying, well, by definition, he is. They get in this big argument and they're divided. And so they go, come up with the same solution they did in the previous argument. Well, let's ask the guy that used to be blind, which of course would have caused someone to say, I really still don't think it's the guy. But anyways, we'll ask this guy. What do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So the conclusion they come up with now is if we can't trust this guy, let's get the, the blind guy's parents. We know who they are. Someone go get his parents. We need more witnesses. And the parents come in. And there's this, this conversation that they have. It blows me away. Blows me away as, as a parent. Because they show up and it appears that they actually know everything that's going on. Keep in mind that their son was born blind, and he's been blind his whole life, and he can now see because of what Jesus has done. They know that. He's standing there. And they ask the parents, is this your son? Yes. 
Did he used to be blind and now he can see? Yes. Yes, we know both of those things are true. How did this happen? And the parents now have a choice. Their choice is that they can respond in fear based on the consequences of being put out of the synagogue because of what this Jesus has done for them. If they say, Jesus did it, and we believe in this Jesus the way our son now believes in this Jesus, and we'll follow him anywhere, he gave our blind son sight. It seems like that would be the response. But instead of responding with gratitude and confidence, they respond with with fear of the Jewish leaders in the synagogue that they might be put out as a result of their statement of faith. And so what they do is they split the difference and they say, just ask him. He was there. It is our son. He was blind. He's not now. Do with that whatever you will as to how it happened and what to make of that. Ask him. He's the one you need to talk to about what happened and how he got to be seeing after being blind. So they decide that they need to do that. They summon him again. They summon him again. And and they they start this conversation with him. And this is where the story gets really incredible. The second time they summon the man who had been blind, give glory to God by telling the truth. We know he's a sinner. And they know it because of the, the mud medicine and all the other assumptions that they'd already made that made them say that if you believe in this guy, we're kicking you out of our synagogue. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. And I love that honest confession by this blind man. He kind of says, I don't know this guy's life. I don't know his mistakes. I don't know where he's been. I don't know what he did yesterday. But I can tell you what he did today. I can tell you what he did today. What he did today is he walked up to me. He put mud on my eyes, told me to go wash. I did that. I used to be blind. Now I see. What do you want me to do with that? That's what happened today. I don't know if he's a sinner, but I know that he opened my eyes. And he says, tell us the story one more time. And, and he, he says, why? Because you want to be his disciples too? You seem really interested in this guy. Do you want to be followers of Jesus? Because I can, I can tell you all about him. Here's what I know. I was blind, now I see. I'm a follower. You want to be one too? And they're furious. They lose their minds when he suggests this. And I also love that he says, do you want to become followers of this man too? The implication there is, listen, I'll follow this guy anywhere. I was blind and now I see. I'll follow him. Do you want to come too? They go crazy. You are this fellow's disciple is the first insult they throw at him. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from? Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody ever heard of him opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now they go back to where the story started. What do you know? You're a sinner from birth and your parents are sinners and you were blind the moment you were born. We know that you're worthless. And they threw him out. They went back to their previous assumptions about his guilt and his his sin and his shame and they kicked him out. And now Jesus comes back onto the scene. At this moment where the crowd has completely rejected this man because he won't reject Jesus. And at the moment that the man refuses to reject Jesus the way that they want him to is when Jesus shows back up and he says, do you believe, do you believe in the Son of Man? 
Who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. And Jesus says, you have now seen him. You've seen him. What a thing to say to someone who has been blind from birth. You've seen the Son of Man. Can you imagine if if 24 hours ago someone had gone up to this blind beggar and said, within the next day, you're going to see the Messiah with your own eyes. He would have to say, I've never seen anybody with my eyes, let alone the Messiah. How could that even be possible? And yet here Jesus stands and he says, you have seen the Son of Man. He's speaking with you. And the man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. There's not many occasions. There's lots of occasions in, in the Gospels where people choose to follow Jesus. There's lots of occasions where people believe Jesus. There are not many times that someone worships him. And if you are familiar with, with the Old Testament, with Israel's history, the one thing that is always coming and getting Israel in trouble is when they worship anything that isn't God, whether it's idols or whether it's uh, cows or whether it's bulls or whether it's all the false gods of Egypt or Canaan or anywhere else. And so it's very, very important if you're a faithful Jew to know that a very important thing is that you only worship God. And so when you see someone in the Gospels worshiping Jesus, what you have to know is that they get what almost nobody else does yet. That this is not just the Son of Man. This is not just the Messiah King you've been waiting for. This is in some way one who God has sent, God in the flesh, worthy of worship. And this man worships Jesus. And Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, well, what, are we blind too? And I don't know what response they were expecting when they asked it, but Jesus tells them, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. Now remember, the assumption of everyone in this crowd is that blind people are guilty of sin. And Jesus says, if you were blind, we're now in the metaphor that he's talking about, you would not be guilty. If you didn't see and understand, if it wasn't plainly in front of your face, you wouldn't be responsible for rejecting what you're rejecting. But you claim that you can see the guilt remains. This man says, I was blind, but now I see. And they say, we don't know if that's true. And he says, I claim that I can see his guilt is gone. But these Pharisees say that they can see. And Jesus says, and yet your guilt remains. What's in conversation here is who can see, who is blind, who has guilt, who does not. And the story begins with this group of people who who are just convinced that blind people are guilty of sin and shame, and that Jesus is guilty of sin and shamed, and that anyone that follows Jesus is guilty of sin and automatically shamed. And Jesus and this blind man through this chapter 9 work through these conversations using arguments of logic, arguments of scripture, arguments of theology and understanding who God is, to have this incredible discussion about who's blind and who's guilty and who's not. And so at the end of this story, Jesus has removed the guilt, the shame, and the blindness from the blind man, and the blind man then argues to remove 
the guilt and the shame from Jesus. He returns the favor. The Pharisees come to this guy and say, we don't even know who he is. Clearly, he's not from God. And the guy goes, how can you say that? He's not a sinner. And he argues that Jesus cannot be a sinner. And he argues that Jesus is from God. And he argues that Jesus is a prophet. And then he comes to a place where he begins to worship God, worshiping Jesus. And all of this happens through this story as over and over again the crowd is shown to not be able to see very clearly and the Jewish leaders are shown to in fact be blind. Those who reject Jesus are the blind ones. Those who the world often thinks are blind are shown to be guiltless and Jesus heals them and lifts them up so that they can have an opportunity to proclaim that Jesus is who he says he is and so that they might lift Jesus up. While those who reject Jesus and the ones who testify to him reject him and are shown to be blind and clinging to their own guilt. What a story. What a story. What a savior. By the end of it, all realize that those who reject the blind man's testimony about who Jesus is are the ones who are blind. We live in a world today that tells us that Christians are foolish, that we don't understand, that we don't see, that we are just wrong in all kinds of ways. We need this story. We need to be reminded that in a day when someone Uh, was healed and allowed to see clearly for the first time in their lives that that is our story. That we are the ones who can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. If that's our story, then we're called to be like this guy, that the world looks at us and says, you couldn't possibly be healed. And we say, how could you argue for anything else? I was blind and now I see, and let me tell you about the one that gave me sight. And as Jesus lifts lifts us up with his amazing grace, then we now lift Jesus up with our testimony and with our praise, that our lives exalt him, All of us recognizing that the only people that are blind are those who reject our story and the one who gave us our salvation story. That's the message. The question today is, are you still blind or do you see? If you see, then what was true for this blind man is true for you. Jesus, tell us about the Son of Man so that I can believe in him. You've seen him. You've seen him. You've seen him. It seems impossible, but the one who saves us is the one we see. And there's something really beautiful about knowing that that in the day that we will leave this world, that the first one that our eyes will open to and see is the one who gave this man sight. You've seen him. Or... Are you one of the ones who's still clinging to your blindness? Who's still refusing to see what's plainly in front of you? That Jesus is the Son of God and He calls you to be saved. I want to invite you, if you're still hanging on to your blindness, or if you're refusing in your healing to give testimony